Faith Over Fear is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Slattery. I'm an author, I'm a speaker, I'm a ministry leader, and I am passionate about helping people live in freedom because life is too short and we have too much to do, too many lives to touch and hearts to heal for any of us to live enslaved. I would love to connect with you online. I invite you to visit my website where you'll find faith-building resources and inspirational messages. You can find my books on Amazon. I would love to connect with you on social media as well. Just Google my name. You'll find me. Just Google Jennifer Slattery. And today we're going to be talking about two starkly contrasting ways to live. We can live in hiding, always afraid of being called out or exposed, and If we're living in that state, we will probably be carrying around a great deal of shame, of guilt, and of self-loathing, and we will probably experience isolation and significant loneliness, or if we're grounded in God's love and grace, we can live intentionally flooded by light. We can live continually stepping into the light so that God can point out every hidden area of darkness within us. Every shame, every past shame, every deep hurt, every weakness, whatever it is, not to condemn or shame us, but to heal, to transform, and to free us. We can live enslaved to fear of exposure, or we can have the courage to live authentically, to go deep in our relationship with God, in our relationship with others, and really to go deep with ourselves so that we can experience freedom. I love this quote from Megan Meyer. She's from Hebrews 12 Ministries. And she says, when you choose to turn towards the light, the shadows of our past have no choice to fall behind us. I'm going to say that again. When we choose to turn towards the light, the shadow of our past, have no choice but to fall behind us. Jesus promised to give us filled to overflowing, beyond expectation life, to bring us past striving and merely surviving and from hiding to thriving, to a place where he and his truth flood our hearts so deeply, so fully, there is no room for anything else. Ultimately, he wants us to be fully anchored in grace And when we're consumed with fear of exposure, we are absolutely not living in grace. In fact, it's as if we're saying we don't believe Christ's death on the cross was sufficient for our sins or that his power made perfect in us is sufficient for our weakness. Obviously, we shouldn't tell everyone everything, but neither can we live in hiding. We can't present a filtered version of ourselves, sharing only the problems that seem manageable or maybe socially acceptable and expect to have deep relationships and expect to experience healing and freedom. We cannot experience authentic community and the interdependent living that Christ desires for us if we're not real. We're afraid to be seen, to be seen fully away from our filtered highlights, and yet we yearn to be known. We all want to be fully known and deeply loved, right? 
The converse of that is the definition of loneliness. Loneliness is when we feel as if no one truly knows or gets us. We might be surrounded by a large group of people, but are we truly known by anyone? According to statistics, over half of us are lonely. We don't feel like we have anyone we can turn to. We don't feel like we have anyone who will listen, who will care, and and who will really understand us. We know we need relational intimacy, only so often we're trying to achieve this in an unhealthy and insufficient way. So I went through, I had a really messy teenage and young adult period. And when I, I mean, in every sense of the word. So I dropped out of high school and I, I completely, like I was bent on self-destruction. And I ultimately, I, I went through a period of homelessness. And then later as an adult, I got my feet under me and, and I got my GED and I started going back to school and I got married and we moved, my husband and I, we moved to the suburbs of Los Angeles in Southern California. So it was middle class, this middle class suburb of Southern California. And I looked around, and we started going to church and I looked around and everybody seemed to have it all together. They seemed so super religious. And in my brain, I'm like, okay, they probably were raised in the church by people who were raised in the church and their grandparents were raised in the church. They probably came from this perfect little family and they never did anything wrong. I mean, not like significantly wrong. And Everybody seemed so deeply connected as well. And they were always, you know, other couples after they would go to lunch after church. And I belonged to a mom's club. And the other moms seemed so deeply connected where I always felt excluded, kind of like on the outskirts. Like I was tolerated, but not really accepted. Like I didn't really belong. And I don't know if I was really excluded, if if they harbored any kind of negative thoughts or opinions about me. I suspect what I was feeling stemmed more from my perception because I was lugging around just so much shame and self-loathing. And I was trying to fix all those holes and all those hurts in my own wisdom, and in my own strength. And I was hiding, and I'm sure they could sense. You can tell when someone's not being real and when they're kind of on hyper alert, and that's what I did. I was always measuring what I was saying and trying to figure out what I should say and what I shouldn't say. And I didn't recognize that the reason they were so close, they had bonded together, and you bond through intimacy as you expose yourself, as you unveil who you really are. And intimacy, the definition of relational intimacy is the continual exposing of yourself with diminished fear. So that is what I I saw the results of that. I wanted the results, but I didn't, I was too afraid to risk the exposure that came with it. I was afraid of rejection, of being judged And so I remained, I I lived in darkness. I, we won't receive healing by living in the dark, by living in hiding and isolation, by pretending. We need to expose our hurts, our sins, and our faulty thinking to the light. Only God's light, his truth, his love, and his grace can bring wholeness to what's become diseased. Surface level attempts won't cut it. Jesus wants us to go deep. And though he is our healer, absolutely, I have found he often uses others to bring about his most transformative work. And that is 
more often than not done through relationship. He ushers us into community and he begins deconstructing the walls we've erected around our hearts so that he and others can get in. And that's what he began to do with me in Southern California. So one day I was invited to a women's retreat and I this would be my first retreat ever and it was a really small one like there were like five women who would be going and I was one of the five and the other four they again they seemed so religious and so righteous and so healthy like they had it all together and and in here I was like the the outsider and I, I don't know why they invited me except I believe God wanted me to come and I was terrified. I didn't want to go. And I almost didn't go because relational risk is always terrifying. And building relationships always involve risk. And I almost didn't risk that. I wanted to stay home, but God just kept nudging me and nudging me. And so I went. I knew we would be in, a, in close proximity to one another. I knew we'd be spending a lot of time together. I knew we would be talking about things like scripture and truth and probably sin and healing and emotions. And I wasn't sure I wanted to reveal all of those parts of me. But again, like I said, I knew, I absolutely knew that God wanted me there. And my desire to obey him overpowered my fear. And I think he just gave me an extra dose of his Holy Spirit that kind of gave me that kick in the pants I needed to go. And I did. And that was where my journey of healing really began. And I often wonder, what if I had chosen not to go? Now, I do believe God's persistent. And so he would have kept nudging me forward into healing. But I experienced that step of healing much closer than if I would have fought him on that. And scripture tells us a story of a woman. We don't really know her past, but she is called a sinful woman. Some people have said, some scholars believe that she was maybe a prostitute. And where they likely get that idea is the Greek word that we translate, that our Bibles translate as sinful, it always has the connotation of some of some grievous sin. So whether it was tax collecting or a pagan or a prostitute with some some really big sin. So it wasn't like she just kind of lied once in a while or whatever it was. So based on that, they think, well, maybe she was a prostitute. Well, one day, and her story is told in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. And also Julie Coleman, a good friend of mine, she expands on her story. She discusses it in further detail in her book, Unexpected Love, God's Heart Revealed in Jesus' Conversations with Women. So I really recommend you get her book to dive into this story deeper. But Scripture tells us Jesus had been invited to dinner with at a Pharisee's house. Now, the Pharisees, they were the religious elite, like the, the pastors and the elders of their day, who had likely been raised by, their, by Pharisees and trained, and, and they... To this woman, they probably seemed like they did everything right. They had never sinned, not in, certainly not in the ways that she had. And But it even went a step further. So the Pharisees, they had these all of these rules to separate themselves from everybody else and to keep themselves, quote unquote, clean. And part of that, like they wouldn't even touch somebody that they considered unclean. And this woman, they definitely considered unclean. So she was one of those women. So that's that. imagine how this probably felt to her. In the Pharisee's mind, one touch from her could make them unclean. 
And so here they were. They were having dinner with Jesus. One of the Pharisees had invited Jesus over to dinner. So there's this room full of righteous, quote-unquote, clean, highly religious men. And this woman knew that Jesus was there, and so she pressed through, and that had to take courage. She was risking so much. She was risking being publicly called out. She was risking being thrown out. She was risk being rejected by not just them, but by Jesus. And yet she pushed in because she knew, she knew she had to see him. She had to bring her life into his light. And we don't really know what led to her her sinful life. And if she was a prostitute, again, we don't know for sure, but if she was, we don't know what led to that either. And in our modern day thinking, when we envision prostitutes, we often think of like the methamphetamine or heroin addict or the crack addict who has become so desperate they sell themselves to get their next fix. But in Bible times, there are a lot of reasons that women could wind up in poverty. They could be given away by their parents or someone else to a pagan temple and and used as a temple prostitute. They could be given away again by their parents to who, if they were impoverished, to earn money to pay for the, the others in their family. Or also women did not have a lot of options back then. So women could be completely destitute and feel like that was their only option as well. And we don't really know what led to her sinful life, but Jesus did. He knew everything. He knew her deeply. He saw past her behavior to her wounded, broken, and diseased heart beneath. And he wanted to make her whole. He wanted to bring her life, to flood her with light. And he did. And he said to her, so she, scripture says she came to him and she just was, poured her tears upon his feet. And then she wiped tears with his hair and she poured an alabaster jar of of oil on him as well and Jesus said to her in essence your faith has healed you go in peace he looked at her with love and he restored her and he made her whole and I wonder what if what if she it had to take so much courage to enter that house I can't even imagine the courage because honestly I'm not sure I would have had the courage to do that But she did. And what if she hadn't? What if she had chosen to live in her shame and condemnation and to walk by? Proverbs 29, 25 says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. She trusted that Jesus would be enough. And so she gave all of herself so that she could have all of him. When I, a while back, I was leading a Bible study. I was actually leading the Becoming His Princess Bible study. It's released by Holy Loved Ministries. And if you're dealing with shame or fear of exposure, I encourage you to grab a copy. You can grab a free copy in in PDF or Kindle form directly from our website, or you can order a print copy. I believe they're... Five to seven dollars, I'm not exactly sure. But we are going through this study, and I believe we were speaking on, or we are studying grace, the week on grace. And one of the women was really struggling. 
And she shared, it took so, so much. I could tell just by her body language, by her tone of voice, by her downcast eyes. I took, I I could tell it took every ounce of courage she had to share her struggle with us. And so she shared with us how in her past, she had made some really, really poor choices. She'd been a drug addict. She had, I believe she had lost her kids. She had lost actually quite a bit. And she had just this this shame and this self-loathing and this condemnation that she had been carrying ever since then. And she was now in her, probably in her mid-70s. That's a long time to live in shame and self-loathing. And she and she was still, still working through some broken relationships from that time period. And she was just struggling with moving past it, moving past the shame and living in freedom. And so I asked her, I said, do you believe your sin isn't worse than anyone else's? And her voice cracked and she said, no, I don't believe that. And then I said, okay, well, do you know I don't believe my sin is worse than anyone else's? And you know my past. You know my history. So let me ask you again. Do you believe your sin isn't worse than anyone else's? That your struggle isn't worse than anyone else's, that your weakness isn't worse than anyone else's? Or do you feel all alone, as if everyone else has it all together, and you're the only one who's broken? A friend told me about something her church did a while back, and they had someone from a healing ministry come in and he, he did a seminar. And during that seminar, he gave everybody who was there, he gave them a survey. And on this survey were a bunch of questions like, have you ever attempted suicide or thought about attempting suicide? Do you have a porn addiction? Are you an alcoholic? Do you have some other kind of addiction? Do you have mental illness? All of these questions Uh, on all of the things that so many of us struggle with but try so hard to keep hidden. And so this was they all took this survey, only they took it anonymously, so nobody attached their name. And then they folded it up, and then they all kind of passed it around. And then they opened up whatever page they got. So it wasn't their page. Somebody else had gotten their page, and then they opened someone else's. And then the man, he started calling out these different things. If you have attempted suicide, please stand. If you've had an affair, please stand. And now remember, they could stand without fear because they were standing for someone else and everybody knew that. And then if you have a porn addiction, please stand. And he went through the list and just people were standing and standing and standing. And pretty soon the room was just filled with people standing and everybody got to look around at everybody else's exposed sins, only they didn't know who, who had committed them. And they were able to see that their sin truly was not worse than anyone else's. And after that experience, they started to open up. They started to be real. They started to get help. And they started to experience healing. We cannot get help if no one knows that we're struggling. In Julie's book, unexpected love, God's heart revealed in Jesus's conversations with women. She tells of another woman that we find in scripture, and you might have heard of her as the woman with the issue of 
blood. And she was a woman who basically was hemorrhaging just nonstop. She was having, the way I understand it, just a continual menstrual cycle. And so she was probably completely depleted and anemic and exhausted. But even more than that, back in Bible times, she would have been considered unclean. So much so that that people like the Pharisees or whatever, again, wouldn't have wanted to touch her or to come in contact with her. Can you imagine the loneliness and the isolation? And scripture said that she had been unclean for 12 years. And can you imagine the shame that she likely felt? I mean, we don't like talking about those parts of our anatomy or of our physical experience. And we certainly, if somebody had called us unclean, I mean, she grew up with that idea, likely, and that was her culture. And you don't want to that like expose that part of you. And yet one day she saw Jesus, he was walking by and he was in a crowd of people. And she needed healing. And she had an option. She could stay in hiding. She could stay on the outskirts and she could watch him walk by, just longing for the light and the life that he offered, or she could press in. And she chose to press in and she pushed through this crowd and she grabbed hold of of Jesus's robe. Now again, remember, just her touch could declare or, or could make someone else declare themselves unclean, could make them unclean. And how often do we do that? How often do we consider ourselves unclean? And as if we're going to make everybody else unclean or make them see that we're unclean and shy away. But I love what Julie says in her book. And this is on page 36. She says, rather than her making Jesus unclean, he healed her of uncleanness. And then later he asked her, like, who touched me? He, So that's more exposure, right? He wanted to call out her shame. Like, you do not have to be ashamed anymore. Speak it out because I have healed you and I declare you clean. And this is, again, Julie's word. She said he used her confession to verify her healing and declare her clean to the community, ending the disgrace of 12 years of social banishment. And I think he was also elevating her as well, like kind of like lifting her chin, saying, look me in the eye. You have no reason to hide. You have no reason to feel ashamed because I have declared you clean. I heard a story not long ago of a woman. She was caring for a child in the North Omaha area. Now in Omaha, Nebraska, in the winter, it gets crazy cold. And so that is where this woman lived. And she wasn't, she didn't have a lot of money. She was struggling, doing the best she could to take care of this, this little girl. But one day her electricity was turned off. But instead of asking for help, there was a church nearby. There was what's called a safe house nearby. There were Christians nearby. Instead of coming to them and saying, hey, I can't pay my bills. I don't know how to feed this baby girl. I don't know what to do. She just kind of withdrew within herself. I mean, she read her Bible and she prayed, but she didn't ask for help. And as a result, they found that little girl frozen, frozen dead because the woman 
didn't ask for help. And I'm sure there were a lot of reasons she was afraid to ask for help. I'm sure part of it, fear of exposure. We don't like to admit that we need help, whether it's financial or emotional or relational, whatever it is. We don't like admitting we need help because in our culture, we we glorify independence and strength. But Christ says we're to live interdependently. She may have also been afraid that if she shared what was really going on, that she would lose this child, but she lost the child anyway. And maybe we're afraid. Maybe our marriage is falling apart. And we know we need help. We need counseling. Or we really want to go talk to the pastor. Or we really want to open up to our journey group, our life group, or our Bible study group. But we're afraid. And so we don't get help. And then we we end in divorce. Or maybe our our child is suffering from significant depression and we know we need help. We know they need counseling and we want to tell our friends, but we're afraid that they're going to judge us or judge our child. And so we don't get help. And then maybe they commit suicide or they start self-medicating through drugs and alcohol and they end up addicted. Or maybe we have a child who ran off and who's doing drugs and we know we need help because we feel like we're falling apart. Only we're afraid people are going to judge us or reject us. Or maybe we have a gambling addiction that we're battling and we're trying to battle it alone because if people only knew, then they wouldn't, they wouldn't respect us or they wouldn't want to be our friends or they wouldn't welcome us. Or maybe we have depression so debilitating that, that we, we can barely make it out of bed, let alone care for our newborn baby. We know we need help, but we're afraid of what others might say. We're afraid of being rejected and of being judged and being cast aside. And so we don't get the help. But do you remember that quote from Megan Meyer? When we choose to turn towards the light, the shadows of our past have no choice but to fall behind us. And not just the shadows of our past, but the shadows of today. God wants to flood us with light and life, but we have to step into the light. We cannot live in hiding. We cannot live in darkness. We're broken. Every single one of us. We live in a world filled with with sin. And as a result, we have been deeply hurt. And we have the brokenness and the shame and the faulty thinking and trigger behavior caused by those hurts. And we have sin inside of us as well. And therefore, we hurt others and we hurt ourselves. And But Jesus paid for it all. He paid for all of it. And he wants to restore us to the men and the women he created us to be. Those who live as if we truly have been forgiven and made clean. I'm going to say that again because that's so important. Jesus wants us to live as if we truly have been forgiven and made clean. Scripture says once we turn to Christ for salvation, we have been transformed into a new creation. The old is gone, the Bible says. It's dead and buried, nailed to the cross from which Jesus Christ hung. And the new has come. New life has come. And now we need to learn to live in that reality, to live in newness of life. That is a process that takes courage and learning and 
community and pressing into Jesus Christ. We need to continually step into God's light, inviting Him to search the deepest parts of us. There's a prayer I love that's written by a man named David. So he was Israel's second king, and it comes from Psalm 19, and it's verses 12 to 14. And I invite you to make this prayer your own. He says, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. So daily, we just need to offer our heart to God. Lord, search me and know me. Know everything about me and flood every part of me with light. Bring out all those hidden places so that I don't live in hiding anymore. We can live in hiding. We can live in isolation and fear, consumed by the darkness, past or present, within. Or we can step into God's light, live saturated by it, and experience the healing, the freedom, and the relational intimacy with him and others that follows. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I hope it gave you a lot to think about. If you're really struggling with this, get some help. Find a counselor that you can talk with and really press into Jesus and and just ask him, Lord, search me and help me to grow in this area. Bring me freedom and bring me healing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, I would love it if you would rate it, if you would share it. Make sure to subscribe because we've got a lot of great episodes that I think will really encourage you and help you live in freedom. And you can find show notes for today's episode along with some discussion questions you can work through on your own or you can gather some people around you and discuss them together. So to find those, just go to crosswalk.com backslash podcast. And remember, life is too short and we have way too much to do. We have a glorious life to live and we are not created to live enslaved. So go in peace, go in joy, go in freedom, go in healing, and may you live flooded by his light. May you experience the courage to live authentically and to go deep. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, Just head over to lifeaudio.com. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for working everything out for my good. Help me trust in your perfect plan. Amen. Father, thank you for loving and caring for me. With Christian prayer meditation, you can pray along to prayers based on specific topics. Go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Christian prayer meditation. You can also download the Abide app for biblical meditations at abide.com.